0: Hey, what's up, all you addicts out there? Welcome to the
1: Addicted Fishing Podcast. We're way behind on these things. as I say, I noticed we started the podcast before we did the Addicted Lives, Addicted Lives thread, episode thirty, and those things have been religious every Sunday. Yeah. We, so we're yeah. half a year into that, but I know we're about a year into the podcast, but we had a little hiccup there for yeah, what, we're, a month and a half. We're behind. That's all right. That's all right. We, we appreciate are. you guys
0: uh, tuning in every single week here. If you haven't, tap that subscribe button. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes, Google Play, all those. Awesome little platforms. Please, please leave us a review. And if you're on YouTube, YouTube, tap the little subscribe button. We're gonna try to make these a lot more immersive in the coming months on the YouTube channel. So tap the subscribe. We got a. We're gonna do a redo the studio set here. We're gonna make it look badass for you guys. So tap subscribe. Now yep. who do we got here tonight, Cam? We've got
1: Mr. Dave Sham. From the hatchery, hatchery a lot of Co- different Co- things. Team. So,
2: why don't you rattle it off? Introduce yourself for our viewership out there. So, I'm here representing the Hatchery and Wild Coexist campaign that we just got started here about a month ago. We're excited to share the information with all your listeners out there. So, thanks for the invitation to join you here this evening.
1: Right on. We just got done doing an awesome only YouTube live feature. So, if you guys also want to go back and check that out, it should be up by the time you're hearing this. Uh, we do. It's already totally up right now. Yeah, party. It's up right now. <laughs> but yeah, you can go back to our YouTube channel and check out the live feed we just did with Dave Sham. Um What is today's date? March 13th? I have yep. no
2: idea. Wednesday the March. 13th.
1: Yep. Wednesday the 13th. So go look that one up. You guys can check it out. We had some great interaction with the first, you know, for almost two hours honestly on YouTube with a lot of great questions and great stuff. But we're going to kind of overview some of these because basically Dave is starting this campaign called Hatchery and Wild Coexists. right Right. yep once you once you roll through the nuts and bolts
2: i know i know you got to do it all over again that's okay one level that's okay (laughs) hopefully i'll get it right this time so uh, hatchery wild coexist is a campaign to highlight the importance of hatcheries you know they've gotten a bad rap over the course of the last 20 or 30 years and we've been led to believe that hatcheries are actually bad for wild fish and we're all about doing everything we can to protect, and enhance our wild fisheries. Uh, So we kind of bought into that. But at the same time, we've noticed with reduction and in in some cases elimination of hatchery plants, we've not seen the promise rebound in wild fish numbers. So we've seen that, those of us that are on the river every day, right? You guys Mm -hmm. see it out there guiding every day. You're waiting to see more wild fish returning. Hasn't happened. So recently we actually worked with a couple of scientists who went back and reviewed some existing information and Continued that study forward and what they found is that Removing hatchery fish had no impact on the abundance of wild fish Which is exactly what we've seen and what we know. So now there is science supporting our own observations So it's time to change that narrative Hatcheries are not bad for wild fish and in fact the science shows otherwise that hatchery fish are either good for wild fish or they have no quantifiable impact on wild fish numbers. So we need to change the narrative hatcheries are good they are not the enemy and we need to do everything we can to improve the funding for our hatcheries. We need to improve the management of our hatcheries, and most importantly, we need to make sure that we're planting the best hatchery fish possible, and that's where the broodstock programs come in.
1: Boom, my job.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I mean, so, shoot.
0: So, first of all, before yeah. we dive too deep into this, and if you're like, your mind's going crazy, love, and you yeah. want to know where... <laughs> You can find this information. Will you hand me that thing right there? I will. I got to read this big giant thing here, and I'm going to try to. It's www.hatchery-wild-coexist.com. Or you can just go to Facebook and type in Hatchery and Wild Coexist, and you could click the link directly from the Facebook page because I'm sure they have it on there. Exactly. So if you're looking for more information right out the gate before we even dive deep
1: into this podcast, go check it out. Yeah. And pretty much, guys, the reason why we've got Mr. Champ in here is, you know, as you Mister, guys... Mr. I'm not that old. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the reason why we've got Dave Champin here today representing this campaign is because, you know, we've had a lot of talk, um, you know, at our bashes. You know, I know a lot of the guys have gone to our seminars where we'll sit there and, you know, say, hey, you know, we're looking for the answer. You know, a lot of people that want to get engaged in helping out our fisheries, a lot of people who've seen fisheries and seen, you know, what was perceived as robust runs or even a fish run at all taken away from them, um, you know, taken away from them for a lot of reasons, but a lot of them have been taken away because honestly, you know, there's entities that don't want to fight and don't and aren't, aren't held accountable honestly for those fish returning to the rivers and basically these wild fish groups and a lot of other situations have gone in and been removing those. In fact, actually, one of, their, one of their famous claims is one of the things that they were proud of was that they removed a million hatchery fish from the Washington waters. And I thought that meme was just striking because for the guys that want to go out and fish and the guys that want to go out and have a fish to catch, we need those fish. Exactly. Now, this program, however, going back to what I was talking about where we started, where we're thinking about starting our own group, we were telling you guys, we're trying to work with it, we're trying to figure it out. You know, it takes a lot of work. And it takes a lot of stuff that honestly, Marlon, myself, and our guys, we just we just didn't know. So we were trying to look for the right answer. These guys launched this hatchery and wild campaign at the Sportsman Show and in talking with these guys, like this is exactly what everybody wants. It's something that everybody needs to get behind. This puts more fish in the water and it does it in a correct manner, at a good rate of return, and it doesn't hurt our wild fish. And in fact, in some cases, it can actually help our wild fish. This is the answer guys. This is the thing that we've been telling you about for years that we need you guys all to start to get behind. You know, I mean, I can't I can't stress it enough. It was funny because when we were going back through and trying to talk about our group, okay, we want to, you know, we want to get, you know, robust fisheries. We want to increase plants and this this is how you do it. You increase plants with the the right fish that are supposed to be in those river basins, you know. You're supposed you can you know, if you're not hurting the wild fish, then you can add the hatchery fish. And you can add hatchery fish to take and catch. So, guess what? The more of those programs that go around the state and are implemented everywhere, that means less crowding on the very few strongholds of steelhead that we have left. Right. So, you know what? you got to expand this out. This is something that a, a sportsman who's in Seattle, if you're listening to us, all the way down to Eugene, if there's broodstock programs going on anywhere in your of Anywhere around you, anywhere around the Northwest. If you fish for salmon
0: and steelhead, period, in the Northwest, if you fish for trout, bass, walleye, sturgeon, crappie, you need to get behind this campaign and please pay attention to it and understand that it is extremely important for the fisheries and for the Pacific Northwest in general that there is healthy, abundant fisheries in
1: our region. I mean, for the guys that complain that there's too many kokanee fishermen now, or too many walleye fishermen in the Columbia River, right? we're any all of that. coming there because we don't got any amateur exactly. steel. Exactly. There's yeah. less soccer fields to play yeah. on, and I know you guys have all heard me talk about the soccer field thing, but yeah. So anytime well, you can support, explain that again, it, just
0: really quick for people yeah, that don't those, understand. I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if you if you have ten soccer fields and you close three of them, well, everybody who wants to still play soccer they show up to the seven. I mean, it just and that's why you see like the crowding, and that's why you see. You know, these situations, but if you have all 10 soccer fields open and you open 15 while you're at it, you're going to spread those guys out. You're going to get more people engaged in the sport. You know, that's, and ultimately that's what we need. But this program, this campaign, Hatchery and Wild, is region-wide. You know, this isn't just focused, you know, on one little area. This is to change everybody's way of thinking. They have the science to back it, and then this is going to start to trickle up to the legislature, should go up to the entities and the powers that be
2: that implement these programs, and this is how it starts. Right here, right now, this is how it starts. Right, and and that's the basis of the campaign right now, is to provide fact-based information for everybody to uh, read, digest, and uh, really make up their own opinion as to where they are on this thing. You know, there are a lot of folks that really get behind the wild fish thing and that's understandable. Um, We all wanna make sure that our wild fish are protected and enhanced to the degree that they can be. But at the same time, we all want robust fisheries. That's why we do what we do. And those can be contradictory at times. but we want folks to know the facts. We've got the studies listed. In fact, I was telling these guys earlier, we've identified 22 studies that relate directly to this issue. And out of those 22 studies, 14 of them show that either hatchery fish are good for wild fish or that hatchery fish have no quantifiable impact on wild fish. So it's almost two to one 14 to 8 that show hatchery fish are not a bad thing, but it's become so ingrained into our minds, into the decision makers' minds that hatchery fish are bad. They've let our hatcheries go into disrepair. They've cut back funding. Look at how many rivers you guys fish that they used to plant 300,000, 500,000 fish and now you're getting maybe 100,000 fish. Well- Or none. Right, (laughs) or none. And that's happened. For the sake of supposedly saving wild fish, they have eliminated complete hatchery programs uh, on the Clackamas River in Oregon they destroyed a world-class summer steelhead fishery, trying to protect wild winter steelhead, and the and the the outcome of eliminating that world-class fishery was absolutely no positive impact. Yeah, on and those that, wild there was fish. actually a study None. that
1: just was released two months ago exactly. that was only focused right on the clackamas and yep. those summer fish, and that they had zero detrimental effect, zero. Pure on peer reviewed science. Yeah, American Fisheries Society. The, the highest, I mean, yeah. that, that's the, the slam dunk. That's um, it. Why, but everybody, but we all got, well, basically a bunch of people drank the Kool-Aid. Exactly. And said, okay, well, these summer fish are bad. We'll get rid of them. And like I said, look at, and you know, the sad part is look at the economics behind it. Look at like how robust that fish was. It was taken away for nothing and it's and you're right
2: it, it has we had the same thing right here in our own backyard. Oh, it, it's coming impact though, has. on the city of Estacada those rural economies out there that depend on these fisheries for nothing
0: for nothing in our local town right here we used to have a, a, a fishing store that was amazing it was like the coolest yeah, right? little fishing yeah, store in the damn. world and yeah. she literally supported her fishing store
1: off of this river like there was hatchery fish in this yeah. river it was it People came to this river to fish for hatchery fish. But let's talk about those hatchery fish because one thing, you know, it's it's not just willy-nilly any hatchery fish. Not right. all hatchery fish are created equal. So, like, let's Very talk well about – what's that? Very well put.
2: Yeah. yeah okay. so let
1: But so – okay, let's talk about, like, how we got here because, you know, I, I like what Jack was saying. I want to give him credit for this because that was a great question. 30 years ago – or maybe 40. I can't remember the number. But there was there was a decision made by our state agencies to say, okay – We have a hatchery, we need to help the fish. What do we do? Do we make a segregated stock and then do we try to push that that stays away from the wilds and we leave the wilds alone? Or do we bring the wilds into hatchery and we all kind of know what the answer is. Well, most of the guys know what the answer is. They chose the segregated stock and they guessed wrong. Why is that? Like, Why are those fish so wrong? So these
2: are hatchery fish, too, mind you. <clears throat> but they've been inbred for decades. So they're essentially a domesticated fish. So it's looking at the difference between a, a buffalo and, and a beef cow, right? There you go. They kind of started in the same like place, that. but they're totally different today. And that's what happened with these so hatchery fish over time. And, and they're unfit. I mean, their genetic pool is washed out because they've been inbred mm-hmm. for so many years. Um, and you can see that in the river, right? So, so you catch a wild fish, and it's 12, 15 pounds. Hopefully, you're going to catch one of those 20-pounders, right? But the hatchery fish are all four, five, maybe a six-pound dink. You can tell just by looking at them. As soon as you hook them, you know what you've got a hold of uh, just merely by size. But what does that mean for the sportsman? Because you know you have those beef
1: cows coming back now that they've been inbred, and, and at the end of the day, you only can rear so many fish in a hatchery, right. you know, for whatever reason, money, capacity, or because of what nymphs and NOAA—they'll say you can put in this river. But the rate that those fish return, those right. beef cows, is garbage, or it's getting worse. Right.
2: Yeah, maybe a 1% return. At best. At best. And the broodstock programs that we're talking about, so uh, the integrated programs, uh, they see a much higher rate of return. So you could plant 100,000 fish, and you're going to get... Uh, four to five percent return as opposed to that one which percent is four return.
1: to five times
2: more and you know some, and some some, you, like you were talking earlier yeah. it could be eight times
1: yeah so at the end of the day if you only can put 150,000 now there's two things we're advocating for here too is that if you're only put 150,000 fish in a river you want sure to make sure they're good ones but you know maybe put 300,000 instead of 150 and then we're really talking yep and yep. there's no de- and there's no detriment to that so you have those hatchery fish, so we're talking brood stock now. So you're raising buffaloes. You're raising, you know, good, genetically sound, fit fish. You've brought two wild fish into hatchery. You've spawned them. All their eggs survived to whatever the release size you're going to have them be. And certain rivers, I think, produce better if they're one size or another. Right. Right. But you clip them and then you put them out to sea and then they come back as hatchery fish. But we don't catch them all. So
2: where does that go, you know, as far as those fish spawning in the gravel? If there's capacity in the river, which means if, if the wild fish haven't take, taken up all the available spawning area, so if there's remaining areas available, those hatchery fish are likely to spawn naturally. They're just one generation away from being a wild fish. And one of the things that, that the anti-hatchery fish will tell you is that you take two wild fish, you spawn them, you raise their... Uh, offspring in the hatchery, it changes their genetics. It makes them an inferior fish in in the mind of, of the scientists. But if they come back and spawn naturally, in one generation they go back to the same genetics that they had had they not ever spent any time in a hatchery. And
1: is that just because when a, you take two wild fish and you spawn them in the hatchery, you essentially get 100% egg to smolt survival, where in the wild you would see you see a you see a uh, yeah I'm, I'm curious about that too. What you see? What what makes of it, of it inferior genetically? What makes it inferior? Genetically. Survival of
2: the fittest doesn't take place between the eggs and smolt. That's an interesting way to put it, and I've asked that question too. And the the guys that know the scientists mm-hmm. and the guys that really get into this stuff get into all these genetic triggers and things. They get into the minutia, and it's way over my head. But it has been shown time and time again that there is a genetic difference between a fish that's been raised in the natural environment and a fish that's been raised in a hatchery. Even though that only took six months, it has something to do with these triggers. You know, in a hatchery, they're getting a handful of food every four hours, right? In the wild, they've got to go out and search and find their own food. Um, so, that's true. So, yeah. So, so as Cameron was saying, it, it, it's... it's uh, Survival of the fittest, and they develop these different traits and abilities to survive um, in the wild that they don't in the hatchery. Yeah, and in the wild, just just because I, I should
1: be studied up on this, but yeah, in the wild, the egg, 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 I know, right? Egg to smolt survival though sometimes can be you know twenty percent. Yeah, you know, at yeah. best. Yeah. and so like you don't or less, and so like like I said, you in the hatchery. It's essentially, it's, I mean, they have egg loss, and I get yeah, it. but it's not, it's, it's not a hundred percent, but it's pretty doggone close. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, much more controlled environment.
1: But but once again, so you breed those fish, you send them out, and they all survive to smolt. So now instead of you know those let's just let's just do some fuzzy math. Those ten pairs bred twenty thousand smolt, and for those ten pairs in the river, they would have only got two thousand smolt. But if those fish, those twenty thousand smolt come back, and those adults come back, and they spawn in the gravel, that's a good thing. It doesn't matter. Right. It's a good thing because then those fish that only produce two thousand, those ten pairs mm-hmm. only produce. You're going to get more
2: of those pears. And what did it cost you to produce those fish? Well. Nothing. I, <laughs> because they're coming back, they're spawning in a wild right. just like a wild fish. And, 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 exactly, and they're unclipped.
1: Right. And so then you're helping the mm-hmm. wild. And then you're also increasing the pool right. that you can take from. That's the abundance. Yep. <sighs> Mind blown. What the hell are we doing?
0: Why, why, oh, why, what's crazy, yeah, too, I is mean, there's rivers all over the place where they've literally taken hatchery fish and used them to, like, restore. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they've of done course. that all over the place. Yeah. Like, all yep. over the place. Yeah, at least to get the starting block. That's yeah. what I'm saying, yeah. And rivers that, you know, exactly. Or yeah. strays, like you said. Yeah. You know, and you take examples Mother of... Will,
2: Mother nature will do it herself. Exactly.
0: You take examples of, like, you know, mountain, volcanoes blowing up or, or examples mm-hmm. like that. and complete decimation of every life form in existence. And then they say it could take 30 years before a river would see life back. And it got life back in three spawning steelhead back in the river 3 years after it blew
2: and where would they come from
0: who knows they don't even know it was who, decimation
1: who well, cares yeah, right yeah, yeah yeah hey they're in there yeah. I mean, mean then you look at the look at the other thing too where there's four four sockeye back you know at redfish they, they grabbed them all put them in the hatchery and now there's you know they're getting, they're getting yeah. stuff going there yeah. and that that all came from hatchery it wasn't going to do it on its own but i think people forget that you know we put hatcheries in there, we put hatcheries on these rivers to begin with, because we, we, we identified a problem with our fish numbers and our runs. You know, but these wild fish groups and some of these some of these other entities out there, they want to put the blame on these on these hatchery fish, which removes fish from your sport fishery. Right. right. And I understand we want to get the good rate of return. We want the biggest, like you said, we want the biggest bang for the buck. But the problem is you removed these hatchery fish, but you didn't do a damn thing else. To fix the problem. You did every 30 feet on any river, there's a house, there's a culvert, there's highways, agriculture, pollution, Portland, logging, logging, dams, dams. You have all these other issues that sea affect lions. sea lions. Sea lions feeding behind dams. Holy crap. I mean you could literally <laughs> sit here yeah, and come I up with a hundred. So you so you basically said, okay. We're going to ignore all those, and we're just going to get rid of the hatchery we're fish and scape,
2: expect all the
1: these fish. other fish to show back up and not do a damn thing about any of those other problems. How'd yeah. that
2: work out? didn't. It did? It oh. did not work out. And, and what a lot of folks fail to realize, that the whole existence, the whole reason that hatcheries are in existence <laughs> <First> is <place. laughs> to mitigate for those kinds of effects. They build a dam. They build a hatchery. They go out and wipe out or, or mm-hmm. eliminate access to all this spawning habitat. The way they mitigate that is to build a hatchery. They were there so, at the beginning. So the hatchery didn't cause the problem. The hatchery is there to try and mitigate to the degree possible <laughs> what caused the problem. Or uh, yeah, yeah, the loss of fish. I mean, even commercial I mean, also commercial fishing in
1: there. You get. I mean there's a million different things that you could say. Why a run? Has been decimated
2: but at the end of the day you're not well, fixing any of those problems yeah over harvest without question is has been a big part of it
1: yeah, yeah. and but i'm yeah. not
2: saying that's all been by commercial but uh, no. a significant portion yeah. has been yeah.
1: right and i mean like oh, just it's it's so aggravating because there's an easy seems like a pretty easy solution so talk to me about you know for those guys that know like this broodstock thing i know you guys have seen it on some of the Addicted life stuff you know, we're trying to push it out there. You know, we we feel that this is this has definitely like been a campaign that we've been thinking about, you know, trying to do like something like this on our own for a while now. These guys have it down. These guys have the legislative prowess, if you will, that we'll never have, you know, I mean the lobbying, everything on the federal side. But this campaign and this thing is it's not brewstocks not new. Like no. you guys? No, I, I say you I guys. I was blown away when
0: he told me yeah. when we were filming that episode that it's been going on for twenty five years. Yeah, right.
2: Yeah, and it, and it was going on before then. So the, those are the permitted, state acknowledged, exactly. Yeah, programs that are. But going the blueprints there. So tell me about those programs. I
1: mean, how would they start. I mean, like, what was the what was the idea behind it? I mean, you guys were seeing the patri fish not return with a darn and. Figured, tried something new, and you used it on a decent population of wild fish yeah. to start.
2: Yeah, you know, that, that's an interesting question. And uh, we talked earlier a little bit about um, Jack Smith, mm-hmm. who was really the guy that made the broodstock happen and made sure that it was successful on the Wilson River. And, and I asked Jack, I said, so so what caused you to get involved with, with the broodstock program? Where did this come from? It wasn't a bolt of lightning hit in the middle of the night. Where'd you come up with this? And uh, it actually started in British Columbia. Right, So they started doing these programs, Jack became aware of those, talked to his local fish biologist and said, hey, how come we're not doing this here? And the fish biologist kind of rolled his eyes, shrugged his shoulders and said, you know, I don't know. So let's see what we can do. So working together, we had a group of volunteers. Uh, we've had a long-standing funding program on the North Oregon coast. Uh, the North Coast Salmon and Steelhead Enhancement Fund, also known as the North Coast Rendezvous, has been in existence for about 35 years. And uh, you know some of the things were identified by the state agency was they needed facilities modified in order to be able to accommodate the broodstock program. Uh, changing piping, they needed to uh, put some partitions in Uh, some of their ponds, there were some screening issues, a lot of things needed to happen in order to ensure that this program would be as successful as possible. So those local dollars, those dollars that had come from fishermen like you and me that had participated in this fundraising event all those years paid for that improvement in infrastructure. So we're paying through fees, but here we are taking our money, saying this is important enough for us that we're gonna invest these other dollars. And here we are 20 years later and it's a hugely successful program. So we're talking about the Wilson River, of course, in the Tillamook area. Uh, subsequent to that, uh, the Nestucker River mm-hmm. was the next, and I think, actually, Uh, The SLETS was one of the first uh, rootstock programs on the North Oregon coast, and it's really getting an injection now. There's a group of guides and anglers down there Mm -hmm. that have really taken an interest in trying to improve uh, that program. Uh, We just had a fundraiser this last weekend, hugely successful, so I really look for good things to come out of the SLETS. And really quickly,
1: all you
0: you (laughs) addicts out there listening, we know... That we have a No River Name Clause and the reason we started the No River Name Clause was for one reason and one reason only. We, we didn't want to be the guys that were out there promoting report chasing and heading to yeah. rivers when you hear if bites hot. And So in the essence of the subjects that we're talking about when it comes to hatchery and wild coexist, it's very important that we're able to, to talk about rivers. But it's not going to ever be in a manner where we're like the Celeste River's on fire. Go fish at the Broodstocker returning this week. Like we will never, ever, yep. ever be a report based platform ever. And anyone that doesn't like that, I'm sorry. Click. And, and I can tell you straight up,
1: fishing hasn't been good on the North Oregon
2: Coast this year. Well, and
1: regardless, this this is, is, but this <laughs> is this is also a, a subject matter that is so important that we feel like you know, yeah, I mean, you're right. Everything is in a downturned downturned year. Right. Um, you know, there's. You know, there's a bunch of reasons for that. But even then, like, you know, even in that downturn year, there's still rivers that, some of these rivers are broodstock rivers that are a little they're definitely more successful than some of the other rivers because they have a good rate of returning broodstock then they also have some healthy wild fish too but even within the whole down year thing these are still the shining stars
2: well i think it comes down to that and the
1: conditions suck this year (laughs) yeah
2: well it comes down to the management philosophy you know i think currently state agencies are planning the number of fish based on how much money they have available, or how much money they're willing to spend on hatcheries. They're not managing for abundance. So when we have a down year, like we're experiencing the last couple of years, and in particular this year, we're not gonna see a good return because everything's working against those fish. But if we were managing for abundance, mm-hmm. so we were, we were managing for those down years to make sure that we had a good, healthy, strong return when all the factors are working against the fish, Think what would happen when those factors were all working in favor of the fish. It would be absolute off the hook fishing. You wouldn't have to go to Alaska. It'd be happening right here. And that's what's This Isn't a pipe
1: dream either, guys. Episode thirty or episode twenty nine. Addicted life. Check it out. That's because in the northwest. That's in the, in the northwest. You know,
0: and that's one thing that's always bugging me about it. You know, it's like we, you know, we have to fly to Alaska or we talk about going to these destinations. It's like these destinations should be
1: right in our backyards. I mean, we live. Yeah. There's six rivers right here, right in our own backyard. The difference between be those incredible. destinations, though, and here is that we have development here. Yeah, we they have, have to it. mitigate yes. for that development. This is a way you can do it because when those, if you have, let's say you have an insane, awesome, good broodstock return of those clipped fish. They spawn in the gravel. It doesn't matter. And I challenge someone helps
0: you. to bring us that. I challenge someone, because I've looked, someone to bring a river to me that has development, has horrible habitat loss and show me a wild run that's that's strong and healthy on a river like that you won't find one one all the ones that are strong and healthy are ones that have zero like next to
1: nothing in habitat loss right i mean that's just all there is to it you can go look at them all nope there's no question one other thing that this hatchery and wild campaign is going to be doing and be helping out with too is also telling the other side of the story so going back to those 14 out of 22 studies that you guys have you know, when these guys, you know, when the idea that the that these wild fish were magically going to return on their own, you know, there was some advocacy groups out there that aren't necessarily our friends going around and pushing those other studies or some very small indicator studies in front of judges, and they were the only voice in this fight. And basically, we lost a lot. So Hatchery and Wild Campaign is going to be fighting against
2: that, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So really, the three major thrusts of Hatchery Wild Campaign is... Um, First of all, we think additional research needs to be done. That's expensive. costs a lot of money to, to pay for that research to happen in a good, meaningful way. Uh, second is advocacy. So providing information, getting the information out there so everybody knows the truth. Uh, we want to lay out all the facts. And then third is uh, legal defense fund. So when we find legal ourselves faced with these ugly, uh, cheapy, uh, nitpicky, little technically-based uh, Lawsuits uh, will be able to stand up and say, Wait a minute. Because right now, our state agencies aren't necessarily willing to do that because it costs a lot of money and they really don't want to go there. So they just fold and say, Okay, I guess that's an excuse not to plant more fish in that river. That was 200,000 gone. Those 100,000 gone. But the Corps of
1: Engineers has done that on the Willamette, sadly. They just, yeah, they just and they're it. and they're and they're mitigated like they're under contract to plant those yep. fish yep. too. So they're using so in some entities, just like the state, are using it as a nice scapegoat to spend that money elsewhere yep. and not put those fish in the water. If yep.
0: there's any uh, NFS or wild fish conservancy or any of these wild fish groups that want to come into our podcast and explain their point of view. We would absolutely love to have you, and we would have an open dialogue. We wouldn't argue with you. We wouldn't yell at you. We would let you form your opinion, and we'd say our opinion. We would absolutely love that. We would love for you to come in and tell us why you think hatchery fish are so bad. So if there's any one of you out there that wants to come into our podcast, please email me, marlin.addicted.fishing. We'd
1: love to have you in here.
2: Two sides to every pancake. Exactly. <laughs> love to
1: have him in here. Well, like I said, you use that Clackamas study. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot of studies that have been forced upon us over the years that really amounted to nothing.
2: Yeah, well, it's interesting if if you look at those studies, you look at those 22 studies, and the majority of those that indicate that there is a negative impact of hatchery fish on wild fish, those are old studies. Now, there is one fairly recent one in there, but the majority... That's old science. The new science, the more recent studies are the ones that indicate that either the hatchery fish are having a positive impact on the wild fish or having no quantifiable impact on the wild fish. Well, like I said,
1: and then take it, take, this is going to sound extremely ignorant, but take the science out of it. Just look at it on the ground. I mean, look, look at the robust fisheries that you got. Look at your Addicted Life episodes. See where, see where fish are getting caught and, and realize, hey, this is a bad ocean. and there's still fisheries there. Hundred fish a uh, day, right? kind of, I mean, I mean kind of think about that a little bit. So you can take and we fish one stream
0: of multiple <laughs> that are like that up there. Yeah. So it's
2: yeah, but those happy managers, they're they're managing for abundance. That's their goal is to make sure that even in a down year that they still get a robust return and providing a robust fishery. It's a totally different philosophy when it comes to that. Well, yeah, it's accountability
1: because, like you said, if they don't get those hatchery fish back, someone's going to get tarred and feathered up exactly. there. Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, too. we didn't mention this in that episode <laughs> twenty nine. I think that's a little extreme. Tarred and feathered. Looks well, whatever. I was going to say <laughs> something else, but that was it. and now well, I I, what, what now. I was going to say was going to be more extreme. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, they're held accountable. Yeah. You know, they're held accountable, I and mean, if you guys. The other thing that we didn't mention too, which is just kind of like a little nitpicker, I guess, but in that episode twenty-nine, they gillnet that river six days a week. They gillnet it six days a week. Right? Literally, our
0: guide was telling us that one of the the hatchery guys. Yeah. he's telling us how he comes down there, fishes for him, goes out and gillnets, and then he he works in the
1: hatchery. Yeah. He loves it. He's like, I get like the they best of all three worlds six days a week, and they still have those fish back. Yeah, unreal. Yeah.
2: Well, that just tells you how many are coming back.
1: That's well, like I, said, like I said it like I said, it that's what they that's what they plan for. So yeah, they dump a lot of smolts, but not only do they dump a lot of smolts, but they they dump a lot of good like the good smolts. They've been very selective on what they take. The biggest and the, the big, baddest. And the, the guy baddest. told me he's like we take the biggest and the baddest fish we can find.
2: You know, I think you gotta be careful there. So so again our good friend Jack, um, I was talking to him about that. Is that really what we wanna do? Um when we're taking broodstock fish. And uh, according to the scientists, those that that know the real deal, the answer to that is no. You you wanna have a diverse group of fish that you're bringing back. And uh, there was a study, and my memory fails me, where they actually did that, where they took the biggest and the baddest fish. And they did not, the return from those fish were not the biggest and baddest fish. They actually had, bigger and better returns a bigger more robust fish when they just selected all the way across the board well, so what is, are, they saying, how does, how are they doing how, how are they, they doing, they doing all that up? there
0: because they've been doing it for 20 years or a long time as far as my understanding of. i'm not
2: familiar with what the tribes are doing but right. in in all the broodstock programs uh that are happening on the oregon on the north oregon coast uh they they take them all
1: and like I said, without getting into the weeds too, like I'm not a I can understand, so. I can understand. okay, we don't want to just have, hey, let the fish fend for themselves and let's see what the hell happens without removing any development. And I also understand that the tribes also, they also do a little bit of, a, we'll call it genetic moving of some strains into other creeks and stuff. They've utilized some better genetics. That's smart. Somewhere. To I, me, all that is is being smart. Is. That is, that is, I, I, in-basin, that's why I always want to say in-basin yeah. genetics. So yeah. we'll just say, we'll just say in-basin. So... Maybe that's the pendulum all the way over there and we just need to be in the middle. Like, I mean, it's been proven that Steelhead do that anyway. Right.
0: Well, I mean, absolutely. They, they pit tag him and they'll, they'll, they'll swim 20 miles up one river, turn back around and go up
1: another right.
2: river. Yep. That's mother nature. Making sure that... Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. At the end of the day, so maybe it's like you don't need to go to that extreme, but hey, if you... Plant some damn good fish, and they're good returning in basin genetic, not this segregated stock. You know those little four or five pound squirts, like you know they came from the fish that are supposed to be in that river. Best thing, and you can you, do. best thing ever. So I mean, and you get a better rate of return. Yep. I, I don't, I don't get it. Why? Why did we change? Why,
2: or why? Why didn't we do that in the first place? Well, I you know, if you look at those old segregated programs, CLC stocks, Scamania stocks and those sorts of Chambers things, Creek for the guys in those, Washington. Those those fish those fish were basically domesticated. So yeah. they, they they survived very well in that hatchery environment. So they were easy to raise, it was it was easy to do. So that's what they did, and they didn't realize that they got lazy. The, yeah, the potential <laughs> negative consequences of that, and so we're just smarter today. We've yeah. learned a lot over the course of the last twenty to thirty years, and it's time to start employing and using that knowledge.
0: Absolutely. I'll tell you what. I had some
1: fun days though on that little on those stocks. Oh yeah! Don't get me wrong. We had great I mean, numbers. There was incredible fishing sometimes back then. Right. Well, they also put a half a million fish to get that. Just no
0: imagine one. if they put a sixty
1: thousand. Well, okay. Sixty thousand fish. I so, understand so, that. 30,
0: but sixty thousand fish. Obviously, it was during runs. It was during right but just during imagine. times when you had. Yeah, if they would have put three hundred thousand, it would have been no, insane. No, no, no. But, if they but how put, many more fish can you hook? We were in thirty fish days. I know, but but,
2: but think how about long this. did it last?
1: It didn't. No, I mean, you had a month. Two weeks, maybe? Yeah, a month, and so maybe. A yeah. And that's the other thing. Yeah. And just imagine if it was, instead of 60,000 was hatchery, just imagine if it was 60,000 of our broodstock. Oh, I know, were yeah. It was returning at 4% and not 1%. It yeah.
2: spread out over a four-month period
1: right. of time. That was one thing I thought was really interesting. Jack was saying, you know, talking about, like, early returning fish. And the way you get early returning fish is you just make a big, damn run. Yep. You and know,
2: they'll, because just, the and science, they'll just naturally disperse. Yeah. Yep.
1: But like I said, like, you know, they always say like a strong run is always early and, you know, a, a weak run is never, you know, yeah. same, same thing there too. So if you want a longer fishery, that's not a two week flash in the pan, one rain shot, second week in second week of December and then done. Right. This is also something that you need to be advocating for.
2: Yeah. And it, and that goes right to your, your soccer field example as well. So you spread that run out over a four month period of time yep. rather than a four week period of time. You know, it's just more opportunity for folks, and it it spreads them out on the river. So it's good for all of us. Good for the fish, and and good for the fishing.
0: So how do they do that on rivers that, like, they don't have, like, there's just no early returning? Like, for example, the cowlots. You know, they say all those fish come back in a two-week time span in April, and that's when they return now. There's a wild broodstock proponent hatchery fish. You basically get a a very small window at them. So how do they spread that out? Go look at last year. They all returned in a three-week span yeah. in April. I every single that, fish. I don't know if so that was a water is, issue. It's broodstock. But it, that's but, broodstock on that river. One hundred percent. I don't know, but that's my question. That's happened multiple years.
1: Unclipped, they're only spawning unclipped true... It's
0: integrated broodstock. I have no idea. Yeah, it, it's 100 percent what they're doing now. That's why the whole beginning well, of that what, run is well, gone. That's what. Well, they the got 700 thousand of... fish they used to put in there, a million eight hundred thousand. Right, that was
1: a great excuse for them to get rid of those a runners.
0: But were, my the rate of return understanding is that for years they've been working on trying to get those fish to return no. earlier. How the hell are they
1: working on that? How do they do that? No, I think they. I'm not sure the level, and I'm not sure exactly what. Because uh, I hate that Riverside. So I don't pay special attention to it. But what I do know is that I don't think they're taking only unclipped wild fish and spawning them because I don't think they have as many as they, I don't know. I don't think they have as many as they need of yeah. why they're doing the integrated software where they're bringing some
2: in. And but you remember like every, every year in the
1: NSI banquet, there's multiple steel returning
0: to that river. Every single, or during the tournament. Every well, yeah, single April. year. Yeah, that's yeah. when they
1: all return. Yeah. Why is that? Where's the rest of the? Why is the they run being disturbed be that late run? Just over and over and over again. I don't know, man. I don't. That's know,
2: a good I, don't think, I don't know. Either.
1: I don't think it's a. I don't think we're talking. I think we're talking two different programs, or maybe they are now.
0: My p- question was how, how you're talking about spreading a run out. Yeah. How do you do that? Abundance. Abundance.
2: Yeah, know, it's interesting. It, it, so it, if
0: you're it, brood all fish that typically genetically would return in March and April by just stalking more fish, some of those fish will come back in December and January. Yeah, Well, think about your,
1: think about your river. Why do we get
2: those big ones? So so it's whatever, if you go back to a true wild run or as close to a wild run as you get, it's gonna uh, be what mother nature intended. Mm-hmm. And those fish will start coming back when she intended them to come back, and they'll keep coming back as long as she uh, had intended. You know, this this last weekend I mentioned that we were down fishing on the North Oregon coast, and now that I know I'm not supposed to mention the river's name, oh, yeah, I won't. Uh, but fishing with a, a well-known guide who was raised on that river, has been fishing it all his life. And is a very strong proponent and um, very involved in the broodstock program there. And he was sharing what he's noticed is with the broodstock fish that are replicating the wild fish in their habits, is they come back in the river regardless of what the conditions are. So with true hatchery fish, and you guys have experienced this, you don't have any water, right? It's not Mm -hmm. raining, the water's low and clear, and there's no fish in the river. You're waiting for that freshet to come in, water goes up five, six feet, and all of a sudden the river's full of fish. Well, with the broodstock program, they tend to come in regardless of what those river conditions are. Now, they may slow their progression up the river. They may not come up as fast, but they still come. I was going to say, could that have anything
1: to do with like, you know, all hatcheries or vast majority of them have to use like, a type of feeder creek, like a soning creek, basically, right? Right. where like so maybe that you know those hatchery those little hatchery fish are so just they're waiting to catch a you know shot of that water or something you know what i
2: mean maybe that's when they need to know when they go maybe they know somehow right, right. i, mean, I just think it's mother nature's yeah. way again dispersing that run right so they're not right. coming because if you think about it if you had this one great big wad of fish coming up the river all at one time they're pretty easy to decimate that run. Right, something detrimental it, uh, happens; they wouldn't be around long. Right, so Mother Nature's plan is to say, "Okay, we're going to bring them up. We're going to bring them back over a longer period of time, uh, because that's better for the survival of the fish." And if you it's is so weird, though. What makes a? I mean, there's got to yeah. be some science around, around that. I like, keep asking them, but they won't tell. What me.
1: makes a fish want to come back in like a certain a, time a well, th- 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 month? Like this? No, I think I think actually it's, it's a lot simpler than that. Would you agree that, okay, look at look at like the coho run. So remember like a few years ago when the, we had that giant coho run? We were banging them in the first week of August in the river, right? Last year, couldn't find one. We had a shitty run. Like I said, I think if 10% of the run shows up early, right, just for the natural progression of run, if that 10% is much bigger because the whole run as a whole is bigger, you see it more, right? It's true, yeah. True. And I'm really hoping I see it this fall. With $1.1 coming back. woo yeah, In either. every single time I don't want to talk coho and twitching yet. I'll start getting shakes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so well, really quickly, to what, touch guys. on
0: again, we've been on
1: quite a long tangent. You guys, Man. go to
0: hatchery-wild-coexist.com. Go check out the website. Please, please sign up with your information. Give them your email. Give them your phone number. Give them your information so they can let you know when they need your help when they need when they need to call on the addicts or call on just the sport anglers in general and need assistance in some issue they got to have your contact info they got to be able to get a hold of you so go give them your information and get involved in this campaign and help us be part of the future honestly be part of the future of what the Pacific Northwest should be
2: yeah absolutely so as that new information becomes available new studies come up uh, we'll share that information freely, so our goal, again, is to make sure that people have the best available information out there, uh, and it's up-to-date information. Uh, so if we have a way of getting in contact with you, we'll make it as easy as possible. You don't have to go back and keep checking the web page. We'll, we'll send and in there's been a to you. And
1: there's been a lot of you guys out there over the last year that asked what can we do? What can you do? What can you do? Support this. this support is hatchery fish. Support. If someone comes up to you and tries to tell you that a hatchery fish is bad, Tell them they're wrong. Well, and people. I mean, how tell many? Po- I mean, how many posts have we seen on the Addicted forum where it's like, oh, this group is suing over this group, and we see five thousand comments on how pissed off they can be and what we can do to stop it. This is going to be a campaign that is going to build a war chest to be able to help stop and start putting, start rain this in, start reining this in a little bit. No yep. question.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and you guys have, the, and you guys are also pushing the economics of this to the legislature and to a lot of other entities that. Need to listen, and that are going to be listening exactly. Which is you huge. You guys are spot on. Yep, I'm excited. This is something I know we're going to get behind. You're going to, you guys out there, you're going to hear us. The, the, we're the, going to pushing this
0: hard, everyone. So this is it. Just please pay attention and please join with us in in leading this charge. Because for the next six months to a year to 10 years this is all you're going to hear us talking about when
2: it comes to helping our
0: fisheries with addicted so we're going please to be a part that, of
2: narrative this is for you this is for the next generation and the generations after exactly blueprint set now we just got to push it out there you we're guys on. got it you did it congrats, congrats. <laughs> thanks appreciate the opportunity to share with your your many many listeners awesome I'm all right well to the
0: future. Thanks so yes. much, everyone, that tuned in. We appreciate you joining us for these podcasts. As always, Thank please, you please Champ. tap the subscribe button. <laughs> tap that YouTube subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube. Leave us a review. Comment. Comment below on this video and share this one out there. This is a big one for us. We really want to get this information out to as many people as possible. I felt like there was a lot of amazing information in this podcast. So share this. Please, please, please share this out there. Get it to as many people as possible. Because even if you can't donate money or you can't help in a certain way, just sharing this information out there to the people and going to their Facebook page, sharing their memes, just being a part of that and
1: getting the information out there helps just as much. Show people that you're paying attention to it. Show people, like I said, people, legislatures, Congress people, they're watching. They're watching this. I even had our local congresswoman tell us that they're watching this. I mean, they are watching social media now, especially this, this is good stuff. You know, this is great stuff. All right, addicts. thanks so much for tuning in,
0: and we'll check you later. See you on the river. Bye, guys.